Welcome to episode number 71 of the Marine Layer podcast. We'll talk to Jack Blayhouse and Mark Campanero from AWA Wiffleball, league founded out of Edmonds, Washington, the most viewed Wiffleball league in the United States. Really fun conversation there. The Mariners' offseason is underway. Teoscar Hernandez does not get his qualifying offer, and Jerry has also made a couple of trades. You know he couldn't help himself with the league offseason underway. We'll also talk about Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the top Japanese pitcher on the free agent market. Do the Mariners have a chance at him? What does his market look like? What are his strengths? A whole lot to discuss there as well. Your reminder before we start the show, if you're listening to the podcast, check us out on the video side on YouTube too. And if you do that, like, comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on over there. If you're watching on YouTube, you can listen wherever you find your podcasts on the audio side. If you do that, download our episodes, lead up, leave us a five-star review. Those really help us out. And on social media, you can check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday, November 6th. The offseason is underway, and as I said in the open, Jerry DePoto could not help himself. Are those the two biggest moves he'll make all offseason, yes or no, right now? I'm sure there's a lot of people who think so. What do you think? No. No, I don't think so. As funny as it would be to roll with that bit, no, I don't think so. He, It is true that he can't help himself. If I have my numbers right, we'll have to ask Jordan Schusterman about this, who actually keeps the Excel spreadsheet. But if I have the numbers right, that is the 155th trade that Jerry DePoto has made in his Mariners tenure. Th- those two combined make it 155, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the one today you were talking about that made it 155, the, the one for Blake Hunt. Uh, in exchange for Tatum Levins, who was a catcher at uh, High A Everett. Well, I think that was 155. I think the right. Riley O'Brien trade was 154. Right. Okay, so we are up to 155. I did see Jordan's tweet. It was 155 overall. How many was it with the Rays? I think it was 13. My phone's over here. I can check. Really. When I'm trying to think, was it 13 with the Rays? That sounds about right, because... I mean, the Mariners and Rays make trades all the time. It's funny. They haven't made one in a little bit now. Well, up until today, I guess, because they made this small little minor league trade. But yeah, it's funny. I always imagine Jerry being at the winter meetings and just hanging out in some some boardroom with all the executives from the Rays just kicking their feet back. It's like, you guys want to make a trade today? You guys bored? And they're like, sure. Why not? You want to throw in a minor leaguer for one of our minor leaguers? Jerry's like, well, I got nothing to do. Why not? It's 14 with the Rays, officially. Oh, so 14. Okay, so so one off from the 13 we said. Yeah, 155 trades. I'll tell you what. Mariners fans aren't bored. They might not be happy with all the moves he always makes, but you're never bored because offseason rolls around. You're probably getting notifications about Mariners trades. A lot of the roster churn so far has been clearing some 40-man roster spots. That's why Riley O'Brien was gone, and we saw Penn Murphy get claimed off of waivers as well. So those moves are to clear up some 40-man roster space, but the move we saw today for Blake Hunt, that doesn't really shed a whole lot of optimism that Tom Murphy is going to be back and catching 
in a backup role for the Mariners in the 2024 season. I would imagine Hunt's going to get an opportunity to compete for that backup catcher role. I know we want them to have a backup catcher who they don't feel like they have to yank after seven innings and put Cal Raleigh back in there on a day off. I don't know if Blake Hunt is quite that guy, but he's going to get his opportunity in spring training when he's going to compete for that backup catcher role. That's, I guess that's all I really took away from that. It, it doesn't really, there's no needle mover there. Jerry, Jerry cannot make any real splashes, I would say, free agency-wise or trades-wise, because the big trades, you got to wait. Uh, they take a while to, to come, come about. But as of recording this, tomorrow on Tuesday is when free agents can officially sign. Now, we might have some news tomorrow, and this, you know, this we, we could add on to this segment as well tomorrow once, once guys can't officially sign. Oh, no, free agency started here on Monday. It's going on right now. Oh, what? I thought it was yeah. Tuesday. No, it started at 2 p.m. our time today, so it's, it's going on Oops. right now. There, there could be a move right now. Also, one little... I don't know note. ball then. Sorry. I apologize to our listening audience. I don't know ball. Well, also one little quick other thing. I, I don't think Riley O'Brien was actually a 40-man guy. I just think the Mariners ended up trading him. So just one little note. Wow. But, Brutal segment for me. Hey, it happens to the best of us. But I was just going to say that Jerry, yeah, he can't help himself in making trades. I liked Riley O'Brien a little bit. I thought he had some decent stuff. Do I think he was a long-term fit in the bullpen just in terms of how the Mariners looked at him probably not and we've seen him already add a couple of relievers this offseason they picked up Caleb Ort and traded for Cody Bolton so uh, spots are getting limited Riley O'Brien threw one big league inning with the Mariners back in 2022 and that was about it so they probably don't view him as a long-term option maybe he'll kind of latch on with the Cardinals and figure it out but ultimately yeah neither of these trades really move the needle aside from Blake Hunt and Luis Torrens, as we currently sit, would probably battle for that backup catcher job as it sits right now. Mm. Mm. So I will say Blake <laughs> Hunt put up decent numbers in AAA this year. And actually, the season as a whole was solid. He put up an 815 OPS between AA and AAA. His AAA OPS was actually a little higher. It was closer to the 830 mark. Actually, it was above the 830 mark because it sat at 835. So he can hit a little bit. and He's only 24, but... If it was my world, in my perfect world, I would hope that they would still bring back Tom Murphy, and then you have Terenz and Levens, or sorry, not Levens, Levens got traded, but Hunt, both in AAA, or you just let one of them go, maybe you let LT go and, and Hunt your AAA catcher, because I'm a lot more comfortable with Tom Murphy back there than somebody who's never played in the big leagues. Can he catch? That's literally the only question I have. Because I, I was going to say, if the Mariners want a bat and a catcher, I mean, they have one already in, in Luis Torrens. And here we are nitpicking over the backup catcher role the first week of November, the first week of the offseason. But all I care if Blake Hunt can sit behind the plate and catch the ball and do a good job doing it. I think that's where, that's, that's where I'm at with the backup catcher. I don't think his defense is great. I don't think it's terrible, but Joe Doyle tweeted this out today. He said he's an average framer. He's got an average arm. His blocking can use a little bit of work. So he's probably like a little better than Luis Torrens behind the plate. So but, he sounds like a backup. Yeah, he sounds like a backup. And also, like you said, if the Mariners need a catcher that has a bat, not only do they already have Luis Torrens, but how hard would it really be to bring Tom Murphy back? His market's not going to be crazy. I know he had a good year this year, but he's injured a lot. He is getting up there in age. 
And also the Mariners seem to like having him around. Like, could it really be that hard to bring him back on some two-year, $8 million deal? I would do that in a heartbeat to have Tom Murphy be the second catcher here. Now, does he want to come back? That I don't know, but right. I would hope. Because... I would hope so too. I, like, I think priority number one, you're right, in the offseason would not priority number one of the total offseason, but for their, your catcher position, yes, that would be it. That would be your first priority in this offseason. I think that would be an incredibly valuable member. I think it would be best if Luis Torrens or Blake Hunt did not see the big leagues next year because you have Tom Murphy backing up, and you know Tom Murphy is good enough to be probably the best backup in the league and probably could start in half the places in Major League Baseball as a catcher if he stays healthy, of course, which is always the case with Tom Murphy. But it's very well likely that the Mariners want a more reliable backup catcher who's not going to be shelved for two, at least two months a season, which has been the case for Tom Murphy since the pandemic season. He's just hasn't been on the roster. No, he hasn't. I guess there's still the idea that we threw out there a couple weeks ago about could they bring in Mitch Garver. The only thing about that is also somebody who's not healthy often and also somebody who is much like Terenz, not a very good defender. So At least Mitch Garver rakes. So yes, he I does. think he would he would uh, all of his crummy catching statistics would go out the window if he puts up a WRC plus of 130. Yeah. And and Terenz outside of what was a good second half in 2021 has, has not done that. So correct. Okay. Before we get to what's the biggest news so far, the Mariners off season, a quick word from our friends over at Pagotch's pub 85, Pagotch's pub 85 in Kirkland. You need a, a spot to go have some great food, some great drinks, watch some good games with your friends and family. We'll head over there. It's right off 85th street or it's on 85th street, just east of 405. And what do they have? Well, they have some really good parking space. They've got some great food, and that food includes some of the best pizza you'll find in Kirkland. So if you go there and you're looking at your food options, you're trying to decide what to get, you can't go wrong with the pizza. So go over, try some of that. Full drink menu, and if you go from Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m., they've got happy hour specials on drinks, too, which include $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, and $4 House Wines. So you want to have some great food. Some great drinks, watch some games with your friends. There's also 22 TVs in the place. You can head over to Pagotch's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Okay, so some news here on Monday. It was coming up with Monday being the deadline for qualifying offers. We knew one way or another we were about to find out what the Mariners were going to do with Teoscar Hernandez. And we debated this on one of our previous shows about which way would they lean. We had differentiating opinions on this. If you want to call it a victory lap, I guess I can take like a semi little victory lap. But my, I mean, it's, I, I, how about this? I'd way rather be right saying the Mariners are going to get Shohei. Then I'll actually take a victory lap. Okay. For, <laughs> for not giving Teoscar Hernandez the qualifying offer, I kind of just shrugged. So they did not give it to him. The Mariners decided they did not want to give Teoscar the offer of a year deal for $20.5 million on the table. As a result, Hernandez is going to hit free agency. We'll see where he goes next. I guess there's still a possibility of a reunion in Seattle, but it seems unlikely. How did we get here to this front office in Seattle saying we are not going to give Teoscar the qualifying offer? Well, I'll ask you, are, are you surprised that this is the result they came to? I am surprised. Uh, I, I So if, if I look at this initially, I'm going to say they thought there was a semi-good chance he would take this which 
uh, like we don't know what Teoscar's market is going to be, right? Now, I don't know if we have a, a clear picture, especially the season he just came off of. I'm not sure exactly where he wants to play. Does he want to go back to the East Coast or is he open to go play wherever? Uh, the other thing here, what makes this, what would make this the most valuable is if the Mariners extended Teoscar the qualifying offer, he declined it, and then he went and signed for over $50 million based on the Mariners being a, a revenue-sharing recipient opposed to a revenue-sharing giving team. They they took in money from the revenue-sharing revenue pool last season in 2022, and we're expecting them in 2023 to be in that same group. So if he signs for over $50 million, they get the first-round pick. What do you think Teoscar would have gotten fifty million dollars with a qualifying offer attached to him? There is a chance, but I think the Mariners view Teoscar Hernandez the same way I viewed him when we talked about him just recently. And I said I don't think they even want to take the chance of offering him twenty and a half million dollars. I think we know their payroll is limited, despite John Stanton having money, and they should absolutely open up the checkbook. But that's a conversation for basically any other time on any other episode because we talk about it all the time. I think Jerry DePoto knows that his spending might be limited this winter and they're trying to invest their resources wisely. And one of those mm-hmm. pads may not be Teoscar Hernandez. Because let me ask you this. The Mariners' whole mantra is draft, develop, and trade, right? Jerry DePoto loves his draft picks. Do you really think that if Jerry thought they had an opportunity to get either a first or second round pick for Teo, they would shy away from that? I think if he thought Teoscar was going to decline the QO, they'd give it to him because then, yes, you get a draft pick. I mean, does that make sense? Is that fair? It does. But uh, let, let me ref- let me reframe my question again. Do you think he would have gotten $50 million on the open market hmm. uh, with the qualifying offer? Because that's where the real value is. I don't know. Like if the Mariners are like, we could probably we, we could probably survive without a second round pick. So we don't want to risk it. OK, so that would be them thinking. We're gonna. We're expecting them to get uh, the the. We're expecting the free agent market to give less than fifty million dollars to Teoscar, which is entirely possible. He could sign a three year deal for like forty five million dollars, essentially out somewhere else if he wanted to. But that would only yield the Mariners a comp B pick at the end of, after the second round. Now, if if they thought his market would be over fifty million dollars, then they would offer it to him. Uh, then they would offer it to him, and they get the first round pick, but. A, if they thought there was a chance that he could, uh, that he would accept it, or they didn't think he was going to get fifty million dollars on the open market, those are two decent reasons that that you would not offer him that, and one of those could entirely be possible, along with your your thing that maybe the twenty million dollars is really eating up a lot of that off season budget, and. If Teoscar were to take that, that would throw a real wrench in things. Very real possibility. We are, with this deal, when we see this, we, we see this and we see this getting declined. It's like, okay, well, now like this money needs to go get used and used used all of it, probably, right? $20 million probably will uh, you know, pay a little bit more for Blake Snell, but y- you go out there and use this money to go get other players, yeah. Like, right decision. Absolutely. It frees you up to go sign a top free agent. Yeah, go for it. But, you know, we sit here at the end of the 2023 offseason and the Mariners end up with what they had in 2022. Then you and I are, are sitting here kind of raising our eyebrow at this and Teoscar Hernandez goes and signs a deal worth $70 million. 
And then we were really wondering what the process what this, with this was. I kind of went all over the place with that. But there's uh, there's a lot of things to think about there. I, I don't think I'm too heartbroken that they didn't offer it to him. I thought there was some upside there. But overall, what really matters now is what they do. Now that they have this cleared out, like, like what is next? What do they do? What What is on the next on the list? Okay, well, let me try to respond to all those points here. Number sure. one, to, to finally answer your question, I do think there is a chance Tay Oscar gets $50 million on the market. I don't think it's enough of a chance where the Mariners said we are still comfortable giving him the qualifying offer. Again, they talk to Tay Oscar's agent. Of course they do. They're in, they're in, front offices and agents are in talks all the time. I am sure they gauge some idea of where they were leaning. And if they thought under no circumstance are we taking the qualifying offer, we're hitting free agency, we're going to see what we get out there, they would have offered it. Why in the world would the Mariners turn down a high draft pick? Of course they want more draft picks. So I do think there was a chance that the Mariners thought Teoscar would get $50 million in free agency. And he might. I don't think it's enough of a chance where they said, 100%, let's give him the QO, whatever happens, happens. I don't think they wanted to give $20.5 million to a player whose strikeout, weight, strikeout rate is way over 30%, does not walk, didn't have the season they were projecting for him, and put up less than two wins. That's not worth $20.5 million. So that's number one. Number two, to double down on what you said, oh yeah, they better go take that $20.5 million and spend it somewhere else. Because if they don't, oh, there's going to be problems. We already talked about players are pissed off, fan bases getting antsy and it is furious already. Some of the fan base is furious already. They better go take that money and use it wisely. Not just use it, but use it wisely. Think about it like this. And maybe this is stupid boy math here, but I'm going to try to spin some logic into this. If you take that $20.5 million and try to use it to Blake Snell, well, that's actually, you can think about it like this. Maybe we only have to pay Blake Snell $5 million in addition to our original budget. And maybe this makes no sense because what I'm trying to get at this with my dumb boy math. I I understand it. Okay. My, (laughs) my dumb boy math being, if you were going to give Teoscar the qualifying offer and then you had to go add Blake Snell, that could have been $45 million in payroll. Well, if you go pay, pay Blake Snell, I don't know, 26, $27 million, let's call it 27. That's six and a half additional million dollars in payroll. That's not that much, John Stanton. That's not that much. Then you might've already had to have given to Tay Oscar in the first place. So take that money and a whole lot more. Go use it, dude. Like go sign marquee free agents and make some big trades with it. Because the, the one thing that's unacceptable here is to eat that payroll. Because if that's what they do, then I would sit here and say, then yeah, they should have just given it to Tay Oscar Hernandez. So go spend. And it's not even just spending. You're going to have to add payroll if you trade for notable pieces because right. notable pieces cost money. Like in the 3 to 5% chance world, the Mariners trade for Juan Soto. That's a price tag of what's what's his final year of arbitration worth? $30 million? It'll be something close. Luis Roberts going to cost a ton if he's in arbitration. Vladdy would cost a ton if he's in arbitration. All those guys yeah. are going to cost a ton of money. Yeah, and you take on all of that salary if you're trading for them. So it, it's not it's not just the free agents. The free agents are nice. There are free agent fits out there, but it, it's everything. And man, this budget better not only be about twenty million dollars. It, it better not, because then then you can't afford any of those. 
Uh, overall, though, again, not too heartbroken about Teoscar. I'm probably out on re-signing him now. I like if you weren't going to give him the qualifying offer, and like it would, re- it would have to be like ten million dollars. It would have to be because I- <sighs> I'm going to double down on what I said the last time we talked about Teo on the pod, which is I think the only way they'd be open to re-signing him, and probably the only the only way I'm open to re-signing him is if it starts to get late in the off season. The Mariners have swung and missed on some free agents. They haven't made too many big trades. Teoscar still hasn't signed. Then maybe you circle back and say, okay, what kind of two to three year deal for somewhere between 12 to $15 million AAV can we work out here? If it gets to that point, yeah, I'd be open to bringing him back, but not right now. Right now, there are bigger fish to fry than Teoscar Hernandez for the Mariners. Well, best of luck, Teo, to whatever you find out there on the free agent market. Um, He is not going to accept the qualifying offer. However, somebody who might be available, Lyle, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, a free agent pitcher from Japan, 25 years old. His team just finished up the, uh, what are the Oryx Buffaloes, right? That's Mm -hmm. what he played for. Yep. Um, Just finished up the Japan Series, the NPB's version of the World Series. He had a masterful performance in game six where he went a complete game and set a Japan series record with 14 strikeouts, a 138 pitch complete game. Uh, Yamamoto, you won't have to worry about throwing that many pitches uh, in Major League Baseball. Congratulations. You got that all out of all out of the tank there. But he is a free agent. He is going to get posted here probably this week. I don't think he's officially posted yet. The team announced they will post him, but he is not officially been posted and once he is posted teams in america will have 45 days to sign him wow do the mariners have a chance oh of course you think john stanton's not going to give yamamoto 200 million bucks i mean just lock it in no i don't i don't think they have much of a chance it it's a nice idea to dream on and if it actually happened would we jump for joy yeah this dude has a chance to be an ace in the big leagues do I think this is where the Mariners are going to invest their resources? Probably not. I will say it's interesting that there were some reports last year that the Mariners were pretty tuned in on Kodai Sanga and had some interest in him. So maybe there's some interest in Yamamoto. Do I think that's where Yamamoto wants to play? Not really. He has openly talked about he wants to be in a big market. So what does that mean? The Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs, maybe somewhere else. Seattle's not a big market. So for a lot of different reasons, the odds feel low. Again, I'd be thrilled beyond belief if it somehow happened, but I doubt it. Yeah, this feels like a, a Red Sox or Yankees scenario, or Dodgers, or uh, or Cubs, all teams that need starting pitching, and all teams with enormous markets, significantly bigger budgets, and significantly bigger budgets for starting pitchers. So, like We talk all this about Blake Snell, and you and I are all on board to sign Blake Snell. Well, you can get a Blake Snell quality pitcher in Yamamoto, unproven in Major League Baseball, but the stuff really, it looks like it'll work in the big leagues. He's also five years younger than Blake Snell, so you can be comfortable signing him to an eight-year deal at least. I think the projections are eight years, about $200 million for Yamamoto. So there's just so much more upside for some of these teams to lock in a longer-term ace of the future with who's going into the prime of his career right now instead of Blake Snell, who was going to be pitching into his 30s and could see his stuff tick down as as the years go along. The difference is Blake Snell openly wants to be in Seattle. uh, Yamamoto wants to be in a big market. So I think the reason we talk about Blake Snell so much is 
like we've said, how often do free agents ever want to come to Seattle? It's rare. So when somebody actively wants to be in Seattle, go sign them, and then you can trade some young arms for a bat. Where with Yamamoto, it's going to take a lot more willpower and a lot more effort, probably, because I don't think he has a sight set on Seattle. Yeah. The, so the just for reference, the most Japanese players ever signed for coming over was Masahiro Tanaka. When he was 25, back in 2014, he signed seven for 155 with the Yankees. Uh, Yamamoto is going to get significantly more than that. I mean, even if you just adjust, uh, adjust that contract for Tanaka for inflation, that's probably more like seven for 200 at least now, right? That's probably decent math. You'd probably be about seven for 200 from the Yankees. And, uh, and that is certainly within the budget of all of these teams that would sign. I mean, the Yankees have signed in back-to-back off seasons or in the last three off seasons, I forget exact what season did Garrett Cole sign? No, Garrett Cole is 2020, right? He right? signed after 2019. So right. yeah. So in, in the last three seasons for the Yankees, essentially they have paid a top of the line starting pitcher. who's was Rodon this past off season and Garrett Cole in the 2019, 2020 off season. It wouldn't be a shock if they, they do it again. They know they can get guys to Yankee stadium to go play for them. And they certainly have the budget for it. Uh, and they'll add it, but it, such a such a good profile here, Lyle. Besides the fact he's 5'10", 176 pounds, again, just twenty five years old. His fastball's in the mid nineties. He also throws a splitter as well, curveball, cutter, sweeper. Very easy delivery. If you want to go learn a little bit more about him, Arm Layton, who we've had here on this podcast and is one of the hosts of the Just Baseball Show, part of this network. Uh, he wrote an excellent breakdown of Yamamoto on JustBaseball.com, which I think you and I both have referenced in our prep, but a lot of detail on all five of his pitches. And he's, he's really got a lot to offer. He throws a lot of strikes, doesn't walk a whole lot of batters as well. Not the biggest strikeout artist in the world, but that could, of course, tick up when he comes over here to America in a more strikeout-heavy league. So he has three-plus pitches. Fastball, splitter, curveball are all expected to be plus offerings. And what Arm wrote in his piece is he seems to think that sweeper might get used more here in the big leagues, especially because sweepers are so heavily used nowadays. So we'll see what kind of how he adjusts and operates with his pitch mix once he gets over here. But even getting past his actual arsenal of pitches and the low effort delivery, which is usually a good sign. I mean, the resume he put up in Japan is just nuts. Think about what an 18-year-old putting up a 235 ERA in AAA would look like these days. You never see that anymore, ever. Like Felix was in AAA at a super young age, but that's so rare. Well, in Japan, which is essentially AAA competition, at 18 years old, Yamamoto put up a 235 ERA. For his career in Japan, 172. Yeah, you heard that right. His career ERA in the NPB was 172 over six years. And what awards did he rack up? He made five all-star teams. He threw four no-hitters. He won three Japanese triple crowns on the mound. He won two Sawamura awards, which is Japan's version of the Cy Young. And he won two MVPs. Yeah, that's what he did in six years in Japan, barely being 25 years old. Like, pretty nuts. And scouts grade him as a full, I would say, pitching grade above of Kodai Senga, who came over last year for the Mets. And Kodai Senga came over and had a very, very good rookie season with the Mets. But this guy is more decorated, 
higher upside, five years younger than Kodai Senga, who came over and was excellent with the Mets. Speaking of a, of a fit, I think the Mets would also be a fit. We know Uncle Stevie has zero problem uh, pumping up the payroll. And even in a rebuilding year, this would be a fantastic addition for the Mets to, to go after him and, and add him to that rotation. So we're seeing why Japan won the World Baseball Classic, right? Their mm-hmm. rotation of three during that tournament was Shohei, Yamamoto, and oh, by the way, maybe this is a lukewarm take, but arguably the best pitcher on that team was neither of those guys in Roki Sasaki. So those were your three guys in that tournament. Yeah, that that's, you can see why they won it all. Like, that's nuts. And Roki Sasaki's got some decisions to make. He could come over early if he wants. Like, I think he is right now classified as the best pitching prospect in all of baseball, right? Even though he's still playing in Japan, I think scouts and executives say he is the best prospect they have. He can wait until he's 25 to come over and go out on the open market where he would probably fetch arguably more than Yamamoto fetched. You could argue with with the kind of stuff he has, or he could come over early like Shohei uh, and get paid international bonus signing pool, uh, international signing pool money like, like Shohei did. He's got some decisions ahead of him. Which would be a lot less. And then, you know, for a couple of years until he got to arbitration, he'd make league minimum. But yeah, if he wants to get to the big leagues early, that might be what he decides. And and this dude, Roki Sasaki's 21. And he yeah. is just unreal. Again, will he be a better player than Shohei? No, of course not, because Shohei is also a top five hitter in the world, along with being a top five to seven pitcher in the world. But if you were just talking about pure pitcher, like put the two up against one another, I think you can make an argument for Roki Sasaki, which is insane to say when we're talking about comparing somebody to Shohei on the mound. But you look at what Roki Sasaki's done in Japan at such a young age, what Shohei was doing in Japan on the mound at that time, didn't hold the candle to Sasaki. I mean, this dude, like you said, he's probably the best pitching prospect in all of baseball period right now. And when he gets over here, imagine the money Yamamoto's about to get. I think it's going to be, if he waits till he's 25, significantly more than that. Let's find some optimism for how the Mariners can sign him. Uh, let me start. This is, can this you is say, Yamamoto can you now, say, right? No, actually, no, I went back to Yamamoto. You're right. Okay. So let's find some optimism for how y- Yamamoto can sign with the Mariners. Okay. Will you say Kikuchi uh, say some good things uh, on on our on the Mariners' behalf? I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think so either. Well, considering he didn't have a lot of success here, they didn't win much here when he was here. The fact they yanked him out of the rotation the final week of 2021, I don't think that left a good taste in his mouth. I think you might have to ask Ichiro for some good words if you're Yamamoto. I think you might have to ask for... I don't know if if there's players around the league that have good things to say about the Mariners that Yamamoto already knows, maybe them, but yeah, that's a long list. (laughs) Well, maybe you're going to have to talk to Ichiro and hope he can sales pitch Yamamoto a little bit here and, and otherwise be open to signing in Seattle. That's the other thing, because he may not even consider the Mariners that like that's first and foremost, he has to be open to the idea. Now, the, I think the biggest question is, would Jerry give an eight-year contract to a pitcher? That's 25. Maybe there's a better chance because he gave Robbie Ray a five-year contract when he was older. He gave Luis Castillo a five-year contract being older. If they sign Blake Snell, he's older, like like closer to 30. 25 years old. Like If you're going to give 30-year-olds a five-year deal, 
You could give a 25 year old an eight year deal. Yeah, you could. You could. So, but in the end, I don't even know if the Mariners are going to get a chance to pitch him at all. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's even visiting. So sorry, sorry to rain on the parade. We just hyped him up so much and it's like, yeah, so, well, he's not going to sign here. So <laughs> just speculation. You never know. Again, I, like I, they were linked to Kodai Senga a little bit last year. So maybe there's a small chance and we're just not expecting it. But I will say the same thing about the international pool of players with Yamamoto here on this episode is, as I said about Jung-Hoo Lee a couple episodes ago, which is if the Mariners are going to go spend significant coin for an international player, I think they're waiting until next offseason. I tweeted it out today here being Monday just because I was I was bored and I was, I was trying to just get something out into the Twitterverse today. And I was just kind of going down a Munitaka Murakami, Mur- Munitaka Murakami rabbit hole. There we go on YouTube and on Twitter today. And I remember that home run he hit in the title game of the WBC. I was like, man, that dude is unreal. So I'm, I'm speaking this into existence a year in advance. The, the Mariners are going to wait. Gino will be gone after 2024. We don't know what's going to happen with Ty France. So they'll have some corner infield spots open and say, oh yeah, Murakami, yeah, we'll go pay him. He can have $200 million. 200 you think you get more than that oh i mean it's possible as a, as a position can, player do you think he can get more than that possibly yeah i mean he is like there's wh- where's the hole in his game i don't think he's a great defender but again as a hitter like i don't know there right. might not be one <laughs> you know maybe as not a proven commodity you don't get 300 million but you know 200 i think that's where that one starts it's he's he's good and when you when you play every day uh it's that much more valuable before we get to our interview with jack playhouse and mark campanero from awa wiffle ball let's hear from better help is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety or if you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's better H-E-L lp.com slash marine layer pod clicking that link helps support this podcast but also gets you 10 percent off your first month of better help so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you so if you're struggling consider online therapy with better help click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod a different kind of interview lyle professional wiffle ball i was not totally aware professional wiffle ball existed but these guys really do a great job of it. So I got to know these guys a little bit over the course of this year because they were out at the ballpark a few times throughout the year doing some content of their own. And there's not that many people like us in these media settings at T-Mobile Park. You know, there's there's a lot of beat reporters there. There's radio people. There's the broadcasters, producers, etc. And we're some new podcast with a mini mic walking around talking to players. And, you know, like we're not that relatable a lot of the time to some of the other media people there. But when these guys were around, I could see what they were doing. 
I didn't know who they were. Naturally, I, I went up and talked to them and it led to what's now been a cool friendship with these guys because I've, you haven't gotten to meet them yet. You will once we record this interview, but Jack and Mark, really cool. When I got to talk to them, they said, yeah, we do the AWA wiffle ball stuff. And I said, oh, I've seen you guys. Yeah, you guys do all the like professional wiffle ball stuff. You guys are on it with the, you know, you got a whole field in your backyard, which we'll get to. You, you've got like, you're all over social media. They're huge on social media, by the way. They've got like audio, video, like high quality setup. It's like, oh yeah, you guys don't just mess around. This is the whole nine yards with professional wiffle ball. And, and it's really become kind of a sensation for these guys. So they've been really cool to get to know this year. They have been really cool to watch from afar and see their content. And I hope you guys are kind of, or I hope you guys are excited to listen to them and hear what they're about. Cause there's some, there's some pretty interesting dudes. Yeah, a Pacific Northwest brand out of Edmonds, Washington, right in uh, right in our neck of the woods. So let's learn a little bit more about them. Let's get to our interview with Jack Playhouse and Mark Campanero. All right, we welcome on our friends Jack Playhouse and Mark Campanero. They're from AWA Wiffleball. Jack is the founder of it. Mark's the VP of Communications. We've gotten to know them out at the ballpark a little bit this year. Now they hop on the pod with us. Their season just wrapped up. I'll kind of start with this. What does an off season in wiffle ball even look like? I mean, are you guys taking hacks or, or what? Are you guys trying to get as far away from it as possible? I'll say it's funny you bring that up. It's 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 relief, you know, another season in the books. And then honestly, my my dad's the the field manager. So right when the field wraps, he's like, all right, everyone get off the field. We got T minus six months to get this field back in shape. So he's been doing a lot of uh, field maintenance. Is that a full off season project? Uh, I mean, I mean, people can probably see on the videos, the field's never looking, you know, like the MLB fields, but I mean, just, that's just what happens with the wear and tear right now. We're, uh, my dad's in a war with about eight moles. So <laughs> that's, it's not, it's, we're not off to a hot start per se, but we have seen some grass growth. So that's good. So on your off season plans, we got questions about the field and, and all, all these other things, how you guys started the league, but up, up, for, up first for me. Just because it's the off season, I feel like now is when your recruitment is really kicking into gear. And we'll have some Trevor May questions. If you go to your website, yeah. Trevor May pops up at you as soon as you as soon as you click the website. So we'll ask about that in a second. But there still is the biggest fish in the pond out there. Have you guys prepared your pitch to Shohei yet to join your league? I, I think that that comes down to you guys. You guys got to get the content out there. If he signs with the Mariners, I mean. Who knows what happens? I mean, we we have uh, ties supposed to come out here. I mean, we I mean we don't know who's going to stay or go on the Mariners, but I mean if Shohei's working out in Ken all the time, you know, down at driveline, so maybe you guys got to get a contract ready for him. Just to throw, what 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 would a proposal look like? What what could you offer him? Yeah, what do you we think, Mark? Mark? You know. That's tough. I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't even know if there's a, a ballpark range for Shohei Otani. I mean, he's just a unicorn. He's just incredible. So I don't even know. If we we would even... for sure give him the highest paid contract in AWA history. I think oh, right now uh, 25 cents is like, uh, I think that's Mark's cap right now. So yeah, we're, pretty, we're pushing it without. That's a season, by the way, not a game. So Hey, if you guys offer him that, you'll be the not lowest offering team in major league baseball for his free agency you guys will be one step above the a's at 25 cents yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly i've got to ask you guys well now that you brought up ty france i know you guys talked to him earlier in the year when you guys were out at the ballpark a little bit but one of the questions we kind of had for you guys was 
you know, you guys have had some pretty cool people out and playing in these games and you bring up Ty. I was going to say, like, are there any kind of ideas in the works for how to get some Mariners out to be some celebrities in these games? So it's funny you ask that because, uh, you know, every time we go out to the ballpark, whenever, whenever we're talking to the Mariners, we're always asking them, like, do you guys want to play? And actually, we get some good responses. Like, these guys are actually down generally. And uh, when we talk to Ty France, you know, we, we haven't been talking to him a ton lately. But when we were talking with him, he's like, yeah, you know, I'd be more than happy to come play with football with you guys. And, uh, you know, they, they seemed really excited to just have, you know, a couple of guys just playing wiffle ball in a league, like talk to them at the park. And uh, for Ty, at least, it was kind of like he was, you know, reliving some memories from his childhood. So I think they really enjoy it. And I can I think I speak for Jack when I say this. Would love to have Ty France. And honestly, anybody from the Mariners come out and play some wiffle ball with us. But there are some works of trying to potentially bring more Mariners to come play wiffle ball in the offseason. So more to come on that. But yeah, we're, we got some things going in the works to try to get more guys to come play. So was that tough to initially sell the players? Like these are all multimillionaires, like play the game for a living. It's like, hey, you want to come come play wiffle ball in, in my parents' backyard? You want, you want to do that? We got a nice field. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, it's tough with, with MLB players just because this, their season lines up with ours. So, you know, when we're, our views are going and like the field's looking good, you know, they're obviously playing and they can't come out to a wiffle ball field, you know, at risk injury or anything. But I think what kind of kicked it off and Mark can probably attest is when we got uh, Miles Gaskin, who was on the Dolphins, then the Vikings, was he on now the Rams? But he was, he was a legitimate player, what, back in 2020, especially for my fantasy team. Um <laughs> And so I think kind of what happened was once you do the first kind of guy to come out here, just to realize we're not, you know, crazy. We're just guys having fun in the backyard. I think that's probably the biggest step. And then, you know, from there, we got some Seahawks players. We had a celebrity game earlier uh, this year with like all the older Seahawks. And I think kind of it's it's the retired players and the people, you know, like Trevor May. Those are the guys who want to play. You know, they're just itching to do some physical activity right after, you know, doing professional sports. But the in-season guys, like Blake Snell lives like five minutes away from our house. We've been trying to get him out here. Trevor's been trying to get him to come out here. But, you know, I I think he's got some more important things on his mind right now. You know what? Blake Snell might have a lot more time on his hands to come out and play wiffle balls with you guys if he ends up signing here, which you wouldn't think the Mariners would be going after all these pitchers, but it seems like they may go after Blake Snell. So maybe come summertime, if he's got an off day, he'd hop by the field. I would love it if the Mariners got Blake Snell. That would be awesome. It'd be great. So what's okay. your guys' connection like with Trevor May? Where, where did that start? So Trevor May is my cousin-in-law. Oh. So we've been, we've been you know, I've known Trevor basically my whole life. Um, and it's funny because, you know, he's he's always like, I don't I don't know how much I should speak on his desire, but it, it seems like, content and video games has always been kind of his passion and so kind of like talking with him over the years he's he's kind of just been itching just to you know i i, I love baseball i just i just want to focus on content now like i, I did that check the box now it's, let's move on to my I don't, I don't know if it's his true passion but i i know he's very happy when he's making content you know and, and he's 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 been a huge help to the league and helping out and playing in games so we'll, we'll see how he does next year 
just to kind of put a bow on this on this major league player thing, because and we can come back to Trevor May a little bit later if, if we want to. But I was going to say, you've, you've got all these celebrities and all these athletes that have now participated in some of these games. And you talked about trying to get some of these Mariners out there. I did just want to throw this out there. If you're trying to make elevator pitches to guys. I think it'd be pretty cool to see Matt Brash out there because people talk about he throws wiffle balls with an actual baseball. Could you imagine that guy throwing an actual wiffle ball in your guys' games? Like, is anybody putting a single barrel to any of his pitches? Absolutely not. Matt Brash, I mean, I watch Matt Brash pitch a real baseball, and I don't even know how some real hitters hit that. Like, it's just crazy. I couldn't even imagine facing Matt Brash in wiffle ball. So I honestly hope to never face him in wiffle ball, to be completely <laughs> honest. I, I don't want him to throw a wiffle ball and mess up that slider somehow. So I want to give people a little bit of background on you guys. Now, if we're going to dive into how you guys all started, because maybe we have some listeners that don't know that much about you guys and think that we're sitting here talking to two guys that just play wiffle ball. Maybe we have some people saying, okay, like, like, cool. We play wiffle ball in our backyard with friends all the time, or we did when we were kids. But for you guys, no, this is a real league. And and if you want validity behind that, if you go check out these guys' social media pages on TikTok, you guys are at nearly 900,000 subscribers. And on YouTube, you guys are way over 200,000. On Instagram, you're at about 200,000. And you guys play in an actual league where people show up on a regular basis. You have teams, you have standings, all that, the whole nine yards, you broadcast the games. So it's become a whole project and a whole ordeal in itself. But I want to go back to kind of the bare bones of it, which is, what made you guys originally decide, okay, we want to start this? So I think it's it's funny because we've we've kind of always played wiffle ball together. Like the main group of guys, like it was me, Mark, Peter, Alex, kind of the, the captains we have now across the teams. We've been playing uh, since high school. I think our senior skip day, we, we uh, had the whole senior class come out to like a local park. We played wiffle ball on senior skip day. So I think it's always, we've always played it. Um, and then kind of, you know, everyone started to go their own separate ways. Like, Hey, we might never, you know, play again with the, you know, it, it is what it is. That's what happens when you grow up. And then COVID happened. My job was delayed. It's funny. Mark, Mark didn't play in the first year of the league. He was, you know, working or where, where were you? Were you in LA? I was over in Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver. Not even yeah. close. I wasn't <laughs> even around the first year, but I was watching everything happen online. I was like, I need to get home. And so I ended up. <laughs> Uh, changing jobs and I moved back and yeah, been playing ever since. So much fun, so much fun. But so, so the league started in 2015, though the original iteration of it, and then you guys took the next step when you had all this COVID downtime, right? Yeah, yeah I think did we did we even? I think we even started before that. I, I'd have to look at like we have like old Facebook pages, old like Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think our Twitter's the same, so maybe you can go all the way back. But it used to be the Edmonds Wiffle Ball League in high school. And then when, when we graduated in 2015, that's when we kind of put it off. We're like, All right, we, we're probably done. And then rebranded, I guess, in 2020 to make it a little bit more you know, general rather than just Edmonds. So. It, was and what was- when it was the EWBL, Edmonds of Football League, back in the day. Uh, we actually had a decent following you know, around just the town of Edmonds. I remember we had the Twitter account and everything. We tweet stats from different games and things like that. And a lot of people actually followed it from Edmonds. And I remember going like just walking around the halls in high school and people would ask us all the time, like, Hey, how's the football league going? Hey, how's it going? You know, just, you know, everybody's like, can I play? Can I play? And it's, it's funny because now that we're older and we're in our mid twenties and everything, we still get those questions all the time. But instead of just from like our friends, 
we also get it from strangers that we don't really know about. Like, we'll just kind of be walking around and people will be like, hey, like, you're that wiffle ball guy, aren't you? Or, or whatever else. And they're like, hey, you guys pop up on my feed all the time. Like, I love your guys' content. So it's it's pretty crazy how, how much it's changed. Um, and it's crazy how far it's grown already. And it's just it's just a blast. It's so much fun uh, to be with all these guys. And a lot of the guys that we play with are still from high school. And so it's just fun to be connected with them. Uh, now that we're all in our mid twenties, we all also have, you know, full-time jobs as well. So it's just fun to kind of connect uh, at the end of the day and play wiffle ball with everybody. It's a good time. So it's essentially an excuse to keep the dream alive while you can, while you're adults. Exactly. Whose, whose idea was it to start broadcasting the games? Like that's a, that's a big investment into, uh, into everything just to take it from, we're just having fun, either at a park or in someone's backyard to, you know, we're going to put multiple cameras. We're going to, we're going to have announcers. We're going to have all of this, all this setup. It's not a cheap investment. So when, how did that idea spark up? So it's, it's definitely been an evolution of, of the league. So like in 2020, I, I was, I was doing the most. I was, you know, I didn't want any help from anyone. I was like, Hey, this is how it has to be done. So I, you know, we'd record the games with cameras and then, like after the games are over, I literally go through all the the footage and record the stats after every game because for, for some reason I didn't think like people could do the stats. I don't I don't even know what I was thinking back then. And then after that, you know, for the first year, you know, the views, you know, typical when you start a YouTube channel, the views weren't great. And then it kind of all changed with TikTok short form kind of popping up. And and honestly, it was around in 2020. I was a little skeptical skeptical of TikTok in 2020 or short form. And then I kind of just started, you know, posting videos. Um, and I think March, like 2021 is when we kind of made our first big viral. And it was, it was Peter um, and Alex who we played with football back in high school. And it was, it was basically uh, Peter was pitching and it hit Alex's bat twice. And then he struck out and that kind of kicked it off. Um, so then it was a TikTok league for a year. And then in 2022, we started doing live games with just iPhones. And then as the kind of the revenue picked up on Facebook, that's when I decided at the beginning of this year to just invest in like a, it's as I'd say as good as you can get a home backyard uh, production set up to be. That's I invested in that. And, and that's kind of really helped us kind of grow the game, I'd say. It's really interesting that you guys talk about how much you've built up this league through short form content, because this is kind of what we've learned in terms of podcasting. And, and you know, they're different in a lot of ways, but in some ways it actually is similar because what we've kind of been taught and we've, what we've also learned on our own is if you're just going to record hour long content and then try to post it somewhere, if you post it on YouTube, if you post it on the audio platforms then just try to tweet out, hey, guys, here's this long link, like go ahead and click on it. Maybe your friends will click on it and watch for a few minutes, but it's hard to keep people's attention spans for that long. We're building it up through short form. It's basically the only way to build up a platform these days because you have to keep people interested in a short time period. And for you guys, it sounds like that's how you kind of built up your brand over the last couple of years to the extent that you now have it at. Yeah. And I mean, just like from an outsider's perspective, like, you know, wiffle ball is pretty niche as is. And so it's like, if you're scrolling YouTube and you see a, you know, a 15 minute edited game, like that's great. That's that'll probably hit some niche audiences. Like, Oh, I like wiffle ball. Let's click on that. But if you, you know, like we were saying with TikTok, you know, someone's grandma could see that, 
you know, and just like, oh, this is funny. Let me send this. Like someone who just does has no idea what wiffle ball is. Just those click, those small, you know, clips. Just bring in other people who otherwise would have no idea what wiffle ball is. Uh, I've got to ask, Jack. I, I, I feel bad we keep directing all the questions your way, and I'm going to get a couple from Mark here in a minute. But the field that you guys play on, it's your backyard. It's at your parents' house. So I've got to ask, like, like especially when this started to escalate, what's the elevator pitch to your parents where you sit them down and say, hey, I want to take over the entire backyard. I want to build a state-of-the-art wiffle ball field. And oh, by the way, there's going to be people coming over every single day that could get up as high as 20 to 30 people that are just hanging out back there on a daily basis. Like, how does that go when you sit them down and say, I want to do this? Well, it's 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 funny because I, I get that question a lot. and um. My my dad Tom, uh, mom Robin, they it's it's funny because they are the biggest supporters out of any anyone I know. Like my dad would just literally the whole offseason is like we need a warning track, we need to do this, we need to do this. So in some sense, you know, I'm I'm we're kind of living out our dream too. But I think we're we're helping my dad live out his dream. He he used to play with ball all the time with his brother. He says he had the uh, unhittable pitch. He was outlawed. Um, <laughs> we've, we've seen it a couple times. He's played in a couple games, but I I think. They they really enjoy just having something going on in their backyard, which otherwise, you know, nothing would be going on back there. So they, they've been very supportive. And I and I think that's I mean, that's really the whole reason why we've been able to get this far from their support, letting us mess around in the backyard twice a week. OK, and now to turn to you, Mark, in terms of actually formulating the teams and getting people consistent in terms of playing, how did you guys regulate that, especially when it started in the sense of. How did you make sure people were playing and it wasn't the type of thing of, oh, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not going to show up. Like, how did you guys actually hold people accountable to keep putting out the type of content you guys were putting out and actually make it a real league? Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, having people show up to games is probably one of our biggest problems. And one of the ways that we kind of combated that is we have captains on every single one of the teams. And so we have captains create group chats for all the players that are on their teams. And so it's up to the captains really to make sure that their team members come to the games week in and week out and also informing their team members about the schedules, what time the games start and all that kind of stuff. So we've really made it be on the captains to really make sure that they have their guys come as opposed to just having, you know, Jack or myself, like constantly reach out to, you know, whoever that's playing that day to be like, Hey, are you coming? Are you coming? Like instead we just have, you know, captains reach out to all their players and it's easier to have just one captain manage like, you know, four or five guys on a team as opposed to us trying to round up 40, 50 people, you know, every week. So and I'll add the the views and success has helped, but still to this day, it, it's it for some reason it's very hard for some teams to get a full squad there. It, like this year was our best year by far, making sure like everyone's there. But there's been a couple times where you know it's just we're just scrambling to get people there. Um, so I, I know there's a lot of smaller wiffle ball leagues out there, and that's their number one problem. And it's just you know, unless you, you're, you're paying your players, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just like any other league, you know, it's, it's tough to get people out there. People and, are busy, okay. you know? Yeah. I've, I've two questions here. First one, I'm going to go back to the field and Jack or Mark, you guys can answer this. Cause I'm sure you guys would have heard, heard about this. If it actually happened, how do the, what do the neighbors think of the, uh, of the softball league? They're, they're very, uh, 
luckily we're we're very lucky to have neighbors. I think the the one scary thing was putting in this year we put in, you know, was that last year? Yeah. So last year we put in the lights. This year we put in the 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 speaker surround sound. <laughs> I was a little worried the lights would be an issue. And I think a couple times because we hooked it up to Alexa, we didn't realize like it was on some nights, and and so like a couple nights it would just be lights on the entire night, and luckily Oops. no one was mad about that. But <laughs> so far, no complaints. Um, our my, our uncle who takes the photos there, he's on the uh, the Woodway Town board, so he uh, <laughs> he looks out for us. Make <laughs> <So, laughs> sure we're staying have- out of trouble. Yeah, I'll say it's good. Good, good to have someone out there fighting the fight for you. And then, and then, how? <laughs> yeah. What is your guys' like recruiting process? We talked about all the, all the, all the celebrities that you guys get in there. How do you guys get, you know, us more of us normal people into your league? What, what, what is your, what is your recruiting process like? So a lot of it is just kind of you know friends of friends. At least that's how it really has been for the last few years. I know that we've you know had some forms recently that we've put out there on our social media and stuff for people to fill out and just say like, Hey, you know, here's my name. Here's my contact information. I really want to play in the league. Uh, But for the last few years, it's really just been friends of friends of ours playing in the league, just kind of keeping it close between all of us. But now that the league's gotten a lot bigger, we're starting to reach out to more of the general public to come in and play and, you know, whenever we are able to get somebody that's able to make all the games. And if they're a good wiffle ball player, we'd love to have you join the league. So you guys have eight teams right now. What is, is there a goal for teams? So I think right now with eight, we're, you know, once the, I think this might be the last year of eight teams. If, if the, the level of talent is what it's been coming in. Um, We've got like a lit or a portal online. And I think there's probably like, a thousand to 2000 names on it. The, the, the issue is with that, a lot of those names are, you know, it's, it's a national audience. So when you drill down to the people reaching out, like if, if they know about it and they're close, like they'll just hit up, you know, some of the captains and that's the easiest way to get in. But, you know, no offense to, you know, the 35 year old from Detroit, like the realistically, you're probably not going to make too many games. Like, <laughs> like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give their pitch and be like, Oh, well, they'll send a video in and they'll be like, I'm I'm amazing. Like I, I won't be able to make every game, but I can probably fly in for two a year. It's like that's great. You may be the Shohei Atani of wiffle ball, but realistically, <laughs> we want guys that can show up every single time, even if they're not, you know, per se the greatest wiffle ball player of all time. I will say you guys are creative with your content too, and and not just with the wiffle ball stuff, but for example, Jack, like like one of the videos I just scrolled across when I watch your guys' content. Maybe you were on a trip, a vacation somewhere, but you guys like to get creative with how you kind of engage your audience in wiffle ball. And when you were on this said vacation, I assume, I remember you walked up, up to some girl and you said, Hey, do you think you can get a hit off me in wiffle ball? And she's like, I mean, I don't know, like probably not. And she's like, and you go, well, how about this? If you do, I'll give you a thousand bucks. And you had the cash in your hand. And you said, but if you don't, I'm shaving one of your eyebrows, like completely off. And she agreed to do it, which for example, like, there's some leagues out there. I'm sure that just just kind of play the games and and have fun with it, which is totally fine. But you guys actually like to kind of not just spread the idea of wiffle ball, but like you get creative with stuff like that. I mean, for example, like how do you think of stuff like that on the fly? I mean, a lot of it is you know kind of kind of the you see it online. You see like, hey, we can do a kind of version of that with wiffle ball. And as you guys probably know, the the seasonality with creating content kind of around baseball is 
it's it's doing great during the, the year. And that's kind of when it's easy to make content because ju- we'll just film it. And then if something cool happens, we'll post it in the off season, which is when that happened. Like right now, I'm, my mind's kind of all over the place trying to, hey, how can I, you know, get make a post that'll get some clicks here? Because as you probably know, in the off season, it's, it's a little bit slower. So it, it's nice to kind of switch it up a little bit, make sure the audience doesn't really know necessarily what's coming. So it's kind of fun to just kind of see what works and what doesn't. How many creative heads do you guys have to create all this content? Are are you, are you, do you share the responsibilities? Is it just the two of you? So I'll say that a, there's a lot of ideas and that, and kind of I'll, I'll kind of head the creative process. And if someone has a good idea, like I'm all for it and I'm, I'm consistently asking, Hey, TikTok ideas, TikTok ideas. My brother, Brock, who, who's helps out with the league a lot. Um, he, he has some ideas and we pursue a lot of those, but for the most part, it's, it's kind of just me randomly just sitting, just kind of bored at work. And then all of a sudden I'll just get an idea and just like, Hey, can anyone come over, shoot a quick TikTok? Um, but yeah, I'm always looking for ideas. So if, if anyone's got any ideas, let me know. <laughs> I mean, even in your home run derby, for example, like when people got eliminated out of that derby, you guys have that like wiffle ball pitching machine back there. And and one of the kind of and one of the rules for that was when you get eliminated, you're taking a wiffle ball off the back or whatever. And people had to stand and turn turn their back to the mound and just kind of wear it, which is which is another cool idea that just adds another element of spice to it, I think. Let me add that uh, that was not a popular idea. Not happy about that one, uh, but as Barking long as it generates some views and it's entertaining for viewers, you know that's what matters. But there, there were some, there were some nasty oh, yeah. football hits, those nasty welts a couple of guys had from taking those football balls. You know, we, we it was that. Uh, what was it that solid plastic ball you get with the the Easton Pro sticks, like the black the black plastic bat we usually use? That ball, put it in the pitching machine. It was going like one hundred five. Mark won the whole thing. He didn't have to get hit. And I, I think I got eliminated in the first round. So we used like a regular wiffle ball, which is just impossible to aim, and it didn't hit as hard. But the the semifinals, like got Dominic and Chase. Chase is on the enforcers. He got a nasty weld on the back of his leg. It was. I don't know. Mm. It was funny. Content. Yeah, do it for the content though. We've yeah. you know, maybe one one of these days Lyle and I will have to sacrifice something for the for the sake of Absolutely. Uh, sake of content. Well, I guess we'll have to find out. Maybe we'll maybe we'll throw Lyle into the Puget Sound for that. I think that would be fine. <laughs> if Joe Hay signs, I think would do that. Oh, if Joe Hay signs, we can do whatever. Like yeah, that's I'd fine. sacrifice a lot. To I'll get jump in there too. That's fine. All right, clip it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Last big last big thing for me. This really piqued my interest. How how many years away are we for fantasy wiffle ball getting to the same level as fantasy football? You guys have fantasy wiffle ball on your website. And I couldn't believe it. I was clicking through it. I even signed up. I made myself an account. I was looking at this. I'm like, yeah. Wow. This is this is something unique. So how are you guys selling that? Like, how many leagues are there out there? So I, I'm trying to remember. I th- I, I want to say there there was probably like three thousand to five thousand. I can't remember the exact number of people just signed up in it. And I think the first year there's you know growth with everything. So it was a pretty successful first year for fantasy wiffle ball. I think um, it's it's funny because we want to implement you know like kind of putting money on games and stuff. And I know there's a lot of rules and regulations, and it's ironic we live in Washington State, one of the few states where you can't actually gamble online. So all the players, which makes sense, would not be able to gamble. But 
stuff like that where there's maybe like a small monetary incentive this year we we gave out like bats for for winners and stuff um i think maybe that will continue to kind of encourage people to sign up but it it's an interesting idea that we we pursued and it, you know just like with fantasy uh football like you know like my, my girlfriend plays she doesn't know any of the players until she started playing so that kind of that concept kind of oh mark campanero hit three home runs today let's go like that kind of just <laughs> kind of builds the players so how many people do you guys have playing in, in fantasy football right now? Like, do you have the numbers for it? I'd have to pull it up, but I think uh, in the, the portal, I think we have between, I want to, I want to say like 4,000 people signed oh. up. I don't know how many of those people are actually signed up for the fantasy or the pick them or mm-hmm. whatever. But of those 4,000, you know, maybe half are doing fantasy football. That's pretty so. cool. So eventually when the state allows mobile betting, you guys want to be have monetary incentive with this. I mean, that'd be cool. I, I know there's a lot of, uh, I, that, that could probably lead to a lot of issues we don't see at the moment, you know, like, I don't know, but yeah. How are cool. people going to, how are people going to keep you guys in check for not throwing games? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's throwing games yet. I mean, our one team this year, the, the Wolf Pack, they were two and 25. So there might be some questions surrounding them, but I don't know. We did have a win in the postseason, though. Yeah. <laughs> I've got two more big questions for the both of you guys. First is if we're going to circle back to not just Trevor May, but also Kwame from Love is Blind, who is another guy that, per your guys' social media pages, is going to play in the league next year. I'll throw this one to you, Mark, but are these guys going to be playing in every game in terms of Trevor May and Kwame? Trevor May is going to be playing in, I think, majority of the games this season. Cool. Kwame, I, Jack, I'm going to have to give you that one. I'm not sure how, what he's going to be doing this year. Uh, so, I mean, tre- Trevor's very excited about it. He texts me all the time about it. So I'm, I would be surprised if he didn't show up to every game. I mean, it's a game every two weeks, so it's not mm-hmm. nothing crazy for a you know retired MOB guy. I mean, sure. What else have we got going on? Just kidding. Um, but Kwame, you know, we'll, we'll see. He's He used to play on my brother's soccer team, so that's our connection there. And he, they were really good friends. And so he's been texting about it all the time. I don't know. You know, when you got 500,000 followers, you know, he's probably trying to, you know, pursue some monetary stuff. But if if we get him there for at least two games, that'll be a – I think that'll be good. Oh, bank all the content you can with that. I mean, you'll, yeah. you won't just be reaching the sports circle with that. You're going to be reaching the pop culture, like drama TV <laughs> circle at TikTok too. Like you're going to get into a whole nother verse. The last question I had for you guys is ever in a million years when you guys started this, did you think you would be featured on ESPN? Because Jack, you did an interview with Marty Smith on ESPN when they had their ESPN, the Ocho day, which for those who don't know what that is, it's a spinoff that they put into real life from the movie Dodgeball from Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller, where when those Dodgeball games were played in the movie, it was called ESPN The Ocho, and they joked that that's the channel it was on. Well, they kind of turned it into a real-life thing, and they put some obscure, unique sports on ESPN for a day, and you guys were on there playing your All-Star games. So kind of long question here rounded out. Like, Did you guys ever in a million years think, oh, this is going to turn into that? No, it was, it was great. I mean, it was crazy. It was, it was an awesome trip. We didn't do it this year. We did it last year. We're, you know, we might do it next year, but the whole first take thing, that was kind of like, we just finished. We were going to, we were trying to film our home run derby. And then all of a sudden these guys show up interrupting our home run derby very rudely. And <laughs> it was Marty Smith and uh, 
what, what's his name? Ryan McGee. And so they're like, hey, we're going to do a live first take view in. You want to throw some pitches to Marty? And of course, we had to say yes. Yeah. So it was, you know, the, the, the best things that this Wiffle Ball League has brought are just been the most random surprises. So like never in a million years we thought that would happen. And that, was, that wasn't on the agenda. That wasn't on the plan. It's just random stuff like that happens. I can honestly say, uh, you know, for I, I didn't actually get to play in that ESPN game. I was announcing uh, the ESPN game. I was on color. And it's always been my dream to announce on ESPN. So, you know, this league makes dreams come true. So I was just overall <laughs> one of the most fun trips I've ever had in my entire life. We got to go with so many guys from the league and just go down to South Carolina, play on ESPN. And it was just an absolute blast and really hope we get to go back and do it again. It was so fun. As two people who have a broadcast background, I think I'm, I mean, apples and, I mean, it's, it's picking the, I mean, it's picking between two great scenarios, but I think I'm a little more jealous of you, Mark, that you were actually announcing on ESPN and broadcasting on ESPN. Not that playing isn't cool, but yeah, to sit next to the play-by-play guy and actually get to be a part of that. I think that's sick. It was so cool. It's, and it's, it's, it's also kind of crazy too, because you understand like how it all works. And like, I had like four different screens I was looking at and I had a producer in my ear telling me like, Hey, we're cutting to commercial. Hey, we're coming back for commercial. Hey, we're rolling this clip. It was so cool. Just how, how everything works behind the scene. Just getting to see that was really awesome. But it's like, I haven't left because this season um, with all of the new production stuff that we had in AWA this year, it's like, I was right back doing what we're doing on ESPN. I have multiple screens up in the booth. Uh, we have a producer inside who's talking in my ear, telling me about, hey, I'm putting these up. Hey, talk about this. And so it's been really cool. It's like I've been, ever since I did that ESPN thing, now I got to do it again this year through AWA. It's like, I'm just living a dream doing this kind of stuff. I enjoy, I love announcing for AWA and getting to do it on ESPN was also amazing too. So it's really cool. Well, this has certainly been awesome getting to sit here with you guys for the last half hour and kind of talk to you a little bit more about building up the league and how it all started because it's it's been interesting to us, C- certainly ever since I met you guys and even before I met you guys when I would just see your clips. But this has been a bunch of fun, Jack, Mark, getting to sit here and talk to you guys. We really appreciate all the time. And hey, if you ever need some fill-in broadcasters at some point, you can give TJ and I a ring. We'd, we'd probably be interested for the right price. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We really enjoyed that interview with Jack and Mark over at AWA Wiffle Ball. You, w- you probably wouldn't think Wiffle Ball Leagues are a real thing, but theirs very much is. They put a lot of time and effort into it, and there's a reason they've been so successful with it. So we really enjoyed sitting and talking to them today, and hopefully you guys got to learn a little bit more about it. So be sure to check out their content, too. They're all over. They're on all social media platforms, and go give them a follow and a watch. With that, That'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts on the audio side. If you do that, follow us, download the episode, leave us a five-star review. Those reviews and downloads really do help us out a bunch. Watch the full video podcast on YouTube. Go like, comment, subscribe over there. And on social media, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.